0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Volcanoes are a powerful example of Earth's geology in action. Now, in Hawaii this past week, they've been rocked by some pretty big eruptions from Kilauea, which is one of the five volcanoes that actually reside on the Big Island of Hawaii. And whilst that island's getting rocked by volcanoes and earthquakes, we'll take a look into various parts of volcanic science from across the world and find out how we can help predict them and what they mean for life on earth and potentially other places. Now the chain of islands that make up Hawaii, the Big Island, which is the most well-known one, and the one with the largest amount of population, well, due to its size as the Big Island, is actually home to five different volcanoes. These include Manaloa, Manukea, Koala, Halualai, and Kilauea. Now, some of these are still active, like Mauna Manuloa, and Kilauea. And that being active things means, well, they're actually either erupting or have been continuously erupting for a long period of time. And we've seen very large and substantive eruptions from Manaloa and Kilauea between 1983 and September 2002. There's basically been so much lava flowing out of these two volcanoes alone, they've added roughly 543 additional acres to the Big Island of Hawaii. It's continually expanding thanks to these volcanoes. But since Kilauea has been erupting for so long, since about the mid-80s, It's led to a lot of people just getting used to the fact of life of volcanoes in Hawaii. It's been a fact ever since the first peoples arrived in the big islands of Hawaii thousands upon thousands of years ago. Now, Kilauea has been in a state of basically perpetual eruption since 1983, but it doesn't erupt in a big flashy eruption unleashing torrents of dust and magma into the sky. Like say Mount Sinabung in Indonesia, which recently erupted back in February. No, Kilauea is a slow leaking volcano. Basically, it's what's called a shield volcano. It has a big sort of rim, and inside this crater rim, there's a big sea pool of magma. Once it gets above ground, lava, and that's that's fascinating and interesting. But what they've been noticing in the last couple of weeks is that level of that lake of magma has actually started to drop. And what that means is the lava is flowing somewhere else, making its way out through vents to different parts of the island. And this leaking of lava out the vents is actually where most of the the lava has gone from Kilauea. It's actually gone out to one part of Hawaii called Puna on Big Island. And that's where there's a lot of farms and basically a lot of volcanic ash flow, lava flow, black lands or soil or so on. And so it's somewhere where there are people, but not a huge amount of people. That being said, around 1,700 people have been evacuated from the surrounding estates, like the Leilani Estate nearby, because, well, it's possible that this will destroy and damage a couple of homes. But this is typically what Kilauea does. It leaks lava out of different vents at different times, and that lava slowly progressively marches and makes its way knocking down homes. In 2014 it took out a couple of homes and between 90 and 91 it pretty much knocked out in or dissolved incredibly slowly an entire village. But that's what life is like around these large volcanoes. The challenge is because of the sort of scale of this recent movement and eruption there's actually been also some big earthquakes associated with this including a 6.9 magnitude earthquake that rocked the main island, big island of Hawaii, earlier this week. And that's the largest earthquake they've seen since 1975. So whilst life near a shield volcano, like the ones on Hawaii, can be slow and predictable in the way that at least you know when to get out of the way, it also is still dangerous, particularly for those living around it. You do have to be extra careful and just accept the fact of life of the volcano's movements around you. Now, when you have a volcanic lava lake and it's just sitting there, and all of a sudden it drops, it makes you a bit anxious. It makes you wonder where all that lava's got into. In the case of Kilauea, we can look at that because we know and understand these large vent systems that the magma can leak out and move and shift around. But for the Masaya volcano in Nicaragua, researchers have been studying to see if this volcano, which last erupted in the late 1700s, is suddenly again becoming active. Except they seemed to misplace or lose huge amounts of magma. They didn't think it was moving very much until they zoomed out in their focus and discovered that that magma in that lava lake when supporting it has actually drifted somewhere else in a huge underground reservoir. And this was only discovered by these researchers using a brand new type of satellite data. Now, this research was led by Hristel Vathia, who's an assistant professor of geology at the Institute for Cyber Science, supported by Kirsten Stevens, a PhD student at Penn State. And the technology they were using is called interferometric Synthetic Aperture Radar, or INSA. And what that uses is radar satellite remote sensing images. And by getting this, because it's piercing through the ground, they can actually pick up very small deviations, basically almost to the millimetre scale, of deviations in the earth's surface which is very different for something like gps which just tracks the point location in space and drift over time they can take this huge swaths of land hundreds of kilometers of area and build up a map and then track that over time and that's exactly what they did they took data samples from the satellite readings at various points in time for a very large area around the volcano. And what they found is that instead of just looking at a small few points around the crater itself of Messiah, they actually looked and expanded their search area by several hundreds of kilometres. And this is incredibly important because when you're trying to assess the risk and the likelihood and the movements of a volcano, you're trying to see, is there a likelihood that this thing is going to leak out or to explode in quite a cataclysmic way? And so you look for changes either in the lava lake level or any other indicators that you can get, maybe taking some point gas readings from different vents or so on, to get a feel for how much magma is underneath the surface and where, and is it under more tension and stress or has it been building up and building up? But if you're looking for a big pool of magma beneath the surface, right near where the volcano's crater is, that may not be the only place it's sitting. And that's what's going on in the case of the Messiah. They were finding several large reservoirs of magma scattered all around the volcano in a large area. Now, the problem is, in the case of Messiah, there's about 2 million people living within 12 miles of that volcano, which is Pretty bad if you consider that that is also very close to the surrounding area of this large underground reservoirs of magma. But we now know about that, and these researchers demonstrated a new method for modelling and monitoring not just the immediate vicinity of a volcano, but also the surrounding area. Because those surrounding areas can help influence and give us another set of indicators for when a volcano may erupt. So this is some great work being done on the Maasai Volcano in Nicaragua by a couple of Penn State University researchers. Now with volcanoes, they're scattered across the world. Some are in built-up places like Kilauea, or maybe Mount Etna, or even Messiah, with people living on the sides of these volcanic mountains. But what about the volcanoes that are in the middle of nowhere, both figuratively and literally? It can be quite difficult to maintain a monitoring station on those volcanoes, and so our data on how they're progressing, what is happening with them, and if there's an eruption coming, is often, more often than not, after the fact, and relies typically on satellite measurement. But now a team of international scientists, led by University of California's Santa Barbara geophysicist Robin Maltosa, used the case study of a Chilean volcano called Calbuco, which is in the Los Lagos region of Chile. And they picked that particular eruption event in 2015. And then they used a monitoring system that's actually a relic of the Cold War to prove, as a proof of concept if we could repurpose this Cold War era technology for actually helping with volcanic monitoring and safety. Now, back in the height of the Cold War, countries were testing a variety of nuclear weapons in strange and unusual places. That included deep underground, deep in the ocean, in the sky. And to make sure that we kept track of who was using and where they were using these incredibly world-ending, potentially, nuclear weapons, the United Nations commissioned the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty. And as part of that, they set up the International Monitoring System to be as basically like the enforcement mechanism. And this International Monitoring System, IMS, basically monitors atmospheric infrasound. That is, sound waves with really low frequencies, frequencies that are below human hearing. But that means they're looking for really low rumbles of a low frequency of occurring, so subtle that you wouldn't normally pick them up with human ears. But these listening posts are able to detect the vibrations caused by large catastrophic events like testing a nuclear weapon or the rumblings of a giant volcano. Now, infrasound recording at roughly 15 to 250 kilometre distances apart, and that's like the regional scale of infrasound recording or Long distance recording, which is anything above 250 kilometers, sort of aligns pretty nicely with the what's already in place for the International Monitoring System for Nuclear Weapons. And that's really interesting because that means you don't have to have these sensors right up next to the volcano. Typically, with seismic data, you have to be incredibly close to the volcano, which is fine if it's Mount Etna or Kilauea where you can do that. But if it's a remote Alaskan volcano, that's not really that easy. So by piggybacking off the international monitoring system, we can actually use that infrasound detection capability that's already in place or enhance it with with a couple of new sensors. And all of a sudden, we're able to now monitor volcanoes erupting from across the world. Now, if you take the example of this Chilean volcano, Calbuco, when it erupted in 2015, you can see very clearly the local monitoring stations are picking up Even in the regional seismic networks, up to a distance of about 250 kilometres away from the actual source, the the vibrations caused by the volcanic eruption. But with infrasound the sound propagated all the way across the atmosphere, 5,000 kilometres away. And it's even better because it actually gives you different types of information than you would otherwise have from the seismic sensors. So yes, maybe you still do obviously need to understand the seismic implications because that's measuring vibration in the ground, which is different, of course, to the vibration in the air. But it's a good secondary source of information and you don't need that many of them. Now, for example... There's 10 seismic that are currently used as part of the Chilean National Seismic Network, but they're not many of them, really, for the large country that Chile is. But by adding infrasound sensors to be co-located with them, you can expand the range and reach of that monitoring network immensely and get a whole wealth of new data. So the recommendations from this study, this international team of researchers, is that if you already have a monitoring network doing things like monitoring for nuclear weapons or maybe instead actually monitoring seismic activity chuck on an infrasound sensor because it expands the reach of what you're able to pick up and detect and analyze by a large amount and it's not that much more expensive if you've already got the monitoring station there in fact it's quite easy This is some great work led by researchers out of the University of California, Santa Barbara, which just goes to show ways we can enhance the capabilities of monitoring to help us give an edge in understanding when volcano eruptions happen and what it might mean for the surrounding areas, before it's too late. Now one of the tricky parts about monitoring volcanoes is that, well, given that a lot of the processes happens deep beneath the ground, we need to know where to look, and using satellite imagery to help study and expand our field of vision is one such example of that. Or maybe using infrastructure to understand where exactly some volcanic eruptions are actually occurring. Both of those are good mechanisms. But To understand the exact movement and flows of magma, deep beneath the Earth's surface, it would be nice if we had some way to track and understand exactly what's happening, particularly in volcanoes which aren't sort of crater type with a lava lake, ones that are sealed up, which explode in high-pressure explosions. Those are the ones that can lead to very damaging and devastating impacts, like Mount St. Helens in the United States. And if you're one of the 1 in 10 people around the world who live within 150 kilometres of an active volcano, then you are certainly interested in understanding exactly what's going on beneath your feet. And researchers for the University of Queensland, School of Earth and Environmental Sciences, led by Dr. Ubide, have been studying with Mount Etna as their example what's actually going on inside the magma itself as it moves and flows and makes its way from the core of the earth up until the volcanic vents underneath the volcano, and then ultimately out to the surface, becoming lava. Now, interestingly, as the magma makes this journey, rock inside of that, melted down and carried along along the ride, crystallises in different ways. And effectively, this crystal composition can change over time, basically recording the state of the volcano at any particular given moment, It tracks all the processes and things that have happened to it along the way, basically making a mini-journal in rock crystal form that can be examined later on to better understand exactly what's happening. So what Dr. Ubide and her team found by studying one particular volcano, which is Mount Edna, By looking at the crystal record, they actually could track the history and the journey of the magma as it made its way up from the centre of the earth. In particular, they saw that 90% of the time, once magma got to a certain depth, an eruption could be triggered and was only really around two weeks away. Now, that's not to say that we know exactly when and where each eruption will take place or whether or not this technique is applicable exactly, statistically as correlated as it is in this case but it does show that we can track the journey of magma and from that infer how long it's taken for it to move through and once it starts getting to certain depths then we can start predicting when an earthquake might be likely to occur or at least in some cases. And that's useful because scientists, volcanologists in particular, need to understand what depths they're trying to monitor at, because otherwise it can be very, very difficult to understand what's going on. A case in point is Mount Angung in Bali, which rumbled with earthquakes for about two months before actually any eruption took place. So once the eruption happened, it was very bad, but people were evacuated so early on because they thought it was imminent. And that was the safe and prudent thing to do. But when you're evacuated for so long with no eruptions, people can get complacent. Now, using this crystal record inside the magma is a good indicator of the history and the journey of the magma to get to that point. And it does give us another tool in our arsenal to make better predictions about when an eruption may occur. This is some great work being done by Dr. Ubide and her team at the University of Queensland. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. This week we found out about volcanoes from across the world, how we can better monitor them using different techniques and technologies, and how we can help potentially save lives in the future with better prediction. Our ending theme was composed by AudioNatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.